You know, when you see something truly amazing, you have to say something in response to it. It, it seems like it's not enough to just experience something or see something and, 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 and just see it. You have, you have to say something. You have to articulate. It's like, you're, it's like the experience isn't completed until you've exclaimed, wow, or you've told someone that. I think this is actually maybe why Facebook exists, is so that the, the things you see, you can tell everyone uh, what it is. When you see something amazing, you've got to respond. I went to a concert a month or so back, a band uh, called Gunger, and just incredible musicians, and watching them play, and watching this one particular guy play guitar, it wasn't enough to just watch it. I had to turn to my wife and to our friends and say, can you believe that? Like, I would love to do anything that well in my whole life, and then I could die and be happy. I mean, this guy was playing the guitar with his teeth, and it sounded good. I could do that, but it wouldn't sound very good. And, and so you just had to exclaim. And, and then a, a week or so ago, we went and saw Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby is 74 years old and is still doing comedy shows. We get there, and uh, he, there's, a, there's a chair sitting on the stage. And uh, out rolls Bill Cosby. He's, he's got, you know, sweatshirt and sweatpants and sandals. And he walks over, and he sits on the chair puts on the microphone, and he sits for 90 minutes, just sits there, and it's just brilliant. It's so funny. We're laughing. He does like 30 minutes. It's all on marriage and husbands and wives, and he's, he does 30 minutes on Genesis 1 through 3, and it's like if every preacher could be as interesting as he was talking about the Bible for those. I mean, it was just, in, just a master of communication, and, and you couldn't help but have, you just had to say can you believe this 74-year-old guy is that funny? I mean, you just had to say something. This is what happens when you go to the Grand Canyon. You know, unless you're a native Arizonan who just thinks it's a, it's a hole in the ground. What's the big deal? Everyone else goes to the Grand Canyon, and, and you, you, even, if, even if you're so speechless that you just go, oh, you have to say something. When it hails in Arizona and it looks like snow, right, you have to take a picture of it and send it to someone, right? And so this is just the nature of, of when you encounter something amazing, you've got to exclaim. And when people encounter Jesus in his ministry, there's a phrase that consistently shows up that they said. And the phrase is, who is this? It's a, it's a phrase of amazement. It's a, it's a phrase of wonderment. Who is this? This phrase, who is this, shows up in all four Gospels, and it shows up a variety of times in Jesus' ministry. Uh, one time, uh, Jesus goes into the temple, and the, these people are basically doing this whole extortion thing to, to rip off poor people who want to go make sacrifices, and, and he's furious about it. He says, the, you've turned the house of prayer into the house of, of thieves, and he overturns these tables, a, a, an incredible display of power and authority, and the people respond, who is this? Another time, Jesus and his disciples are on a boat and a lake, and there's this incredible storm. The disciples are afraid for their life. Jesus is asleep, and he wakes up, and he says, peace, be still. And the waves and the wind, whoom. and the disciples, those who knew him best, turn to each other and go, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's another time when Jesus tells a man, your sins are forgiven. Something only God could say. And the people respond, 
Who is this that says he can forgive sin? Only God can do that. Who is this? It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. You see it over and over in all these different settings. And so we are starting a series today, uh, including today, will be five weeks, so today and four more, where we are looking at who is this? We're going to have an encounter with Jesus. And we're kicking that off uh, today. We're going to look at the core idea of who Jesus is in his own words and what he said, what his message was about. There's a lot of ideas about Jesus. There's a lot of uh, kind of caricatures of who Jesus is. We want to see who is Jesus really and what's his message really about. And so that's what we're uh, launching here today. Now we're launching it in kind of an interesting way because when we look at the resurrection story, that's really the climax that's the key moment of, of, of not just Jesus' ministry, but all of history. It's a bit like, have you ever seen a movie? Like, the movie Crash was like this, and uh, Pulp Fiction, and Fight Club is like this, and Usual Suspects, where it starts with this climactic scene. Like, the climax of the movie is how the movie opens, and it, it, you sort of see some things happen, and then, and then the rest of the movie is sort of helping you see how you got to that main point. You've ever seen a movie like that? That's how this series is working. We're looking at the main thing today, and then what we're going to do over the next four weeks is back up and look at the rest of this story. So if, if we were to watch this as a film, this story of Jesus, even the story of history, it would open with a tomb. You know, before the, and there'd be kind of some cool, eerie music, you know, some sunlight, you know, and the, and the director would have it, you know, he'd be, he'd be zooming out and, and you'd hear this <laughs> of this stone starting to roll away and you'd see these beams of light and you'd see these soldiers fall down and curl up in the fetal position and you would, and, and this burst of light would come in and then it would back out, and it would start at the beginning of the story. And the beginning of the story really would be, it would take you to a garden where God created all things, and he created them good, and he created men and women in his image, and they were very good. And then in the rest of that movie, you would see the place where Adam and Eve fall. They believe lies about God. They don't believe that God can really be trusted. And so they take the fruit because they think it will, it's beautiful. It will make them wise. They don't trust God. And they fall into sin. And the, and the rest of this movie would be a dark, shameful, painful story to watch. Many of you know that story really well. You live that a lot. You live that every day. You see the pain. You see the agony. You see the betrayal. You see the people that should have protected you who didn't. You feel that pain. And then you would see redemption. You would see Jesus Christ, God made flesh. You would see him living his life perfectly obedient to the Father, loving people, loving God with everything, and then suffering as a criminal. On Friday, a thief dying on the cross to forgive sin and to begin to undo all the effects of that fall. And that redemption would be initiated on Friday and it would be, um, it would be one on Sunday. And, you would, and we would catch up to that opening scene. And then what you'd see is that it doesn't just finish there, but it actually finishes with God making all things new. Creation, fall, restoration, recreation. 
or redemption, restoration, recreation. Making all things new is what he would do. And so this, this kickoff today of who is this who rose from the dead is really that climactic point of human history. And it's the thing that sets the trajectory for what God is doing in the world. This was not just a rare occasional thing, though it was, but this is actually setting a course for how things are now going to be. Scholar N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, to put it at its most basic, the resurrection of Jesus offers itself to the student of history or science, no less than the Christian or the theologian, not as an odd event within the world, but as it is, but, but, but as the utterly characteristic, prototypical, and foundational event within the world as it has begun to be. It is not an absurd event within the old world, but the symbol and starting point of the new world. Jesus begins to undo all the effects of sin. That's why we celebrate this. That's why it's so glorious. That's why we worship him. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this story. This may be familiar if you've been to church, even if you, you haven't been to church a lot. If you've ever been to church on an Easter before, you probably will recognize this story. And I want to look at it in Matthew 28, and there's five things that we're going to see here about Jesus' resurrection and what they say to us. So as we go, who is this? We're going to, we're going to see some things about Christ from this passage. First thing that we're going to see, and this may seem obvious, is that Jesus' resurrection happened. Now, if you're a Christian, you'll go, yeah, I, totally, I get that. But some of you are here today, and you're exploring the faith, or you aren't sure if you believe Christianity. Some of you, maybe you're even kind of, hey, I'm here to help someone else be happy on Easter, but I'm not sure this is really my thing. And, and if that's you, we're glad you're here. And I want to tell you, this really happened. And there's a couple ways we see in Matthew 28 that we know that this really happened. Uh, the first one we see is in verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now that may not strike you initially as all that. What difference does that make? Here's what difference this makes. In the world that Matthew was writing in, uh, if you were going to fabricate a story and, and hope that people would believe it, even though you knew it, was, you knew it wasn't right, but you wanted to try to, you know, you were going to convince people, you would not select women as your star witnesses. Now, everywhere the Bible has gone, it has sought to elevate the role of women. And we have, in our culture today, a very high view of women. We see men, men and women as co-equals before God. A lot of people in Matthew's day didn't see it that way. And so if it, why would you make up a story with women as the key witnesses? No one would believe it in this time. You wouldn't make it up. You would only write it that way if that's what really happened. The other thing we see in Matthew 28, if you go to the end of the chapter, in uh, verse 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is his last commission to them before he ascends. And he's talking to men who on Friday were terrified, who on Friday were, were hiding, who on Friday were running from, uh, from people who thought that, they were, that he was associated with them. They were scared. They were petrified. In fact, after Jesus goes to meet the disciples, they're meeting with the door locked because they're afraid. Here's what Jesus tells them after he rises in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
There were these fearful, scared men who then hear this word from Jesus, the risen Jesus, and they go make it happen. I mean, think about this. We're in Queen Creek, Arizona. If that's not the end of the earth, (laughs) right? All nations, like even the United States, doesn't even exist yet, right? These courageous men, almost all of whom ended up dying for their faith. There's a lot of people that die just, they're deceived. They believe things that aren't true. But nobody dies for something that they know is a lie. At that point, you go, never, never mind. I was, we made it all up. They didn't do that. This really happened. Jesus' resurrection really happened. Second, Jesus' resurrection proved him right. It proved him right. Go to verse 6. Uh, the angel says to the women, don't be afraid, this is verse 5, don't be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. He's risen as he said. See, this, this was something Jesus had predicted. Jesus had said three times in the Gospel of Matthew that he was going to be crucified and raised again. And every time it happened, the, the, the disciples kind of gave him this doggy head tilt look like, huh? Like, we, we, they didn't get it. But, but he said that this would happen. If you look at Matthew 16, it says uh, in verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So Jesus tells them this. They don't seem to get it. He tells them again in, ver- in chapter 17. As they were gal- gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Again, they don't, and they would often go aside and say, Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? I don't, do you know, I don't, I don't know what this means. They didn't have a slot for it. But Jesus predicted it. He predicted it again in, verse, in chapter 20 with a lot more detail. He says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. See, this proved Jesus right. I mean... Who has the ability to predict their death? Not very many people. I mean, some people could. If you, but no one has the ability to predict their resurrection and then have it happen unless they are God. And that's who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God. When Jesus says, I forgive your sin, and they say, who is this? No one can forgive sin but God alone. They're knowing that Jesus is claiming to be God. So if Jesus is right about his resurrection, then he's right about the other things that he taught. Which means that if you're here and and you are a bit more skeptical or you have questions or you're wondering, who is this Jesus? What is he really all about? You need to give him a hearing. You need to listen. You need to read the scripture. You need to come back as we continue this series. you got to do something with this Jesus. You can't ignore it. If he's right about this, He's right about the other things he said. The third thing we see is that Jesus' resurrection confronts the strong. Confronts the strong. It says in verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord 
descended from heaven and came back and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Now, this is just the angel, okay? This isn't even the risen Christ. This is just the angel. And verse 4 says, And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, these guards were not just sort of like a, a, these weren't mall cops, okay? These were like Roman soldiers. And and, and Roman soldiers at this time were the best trained, the strongest, the bravest, the fewest, the proudest. These are the the Marines, and and this this is the best army in the world. And if you had someone who you knew had claimed that at some point he would be raised from the dead, what kind of soldiers would you put at that tomb to guard it? You'd get SEAL Team 6. Right? I mean, this is the best of the best. And they see not just the risen Christ, they see just the angel. And it says, they trembled and became like dead men. Right? They're curled up in the fetal position, scared to death. Jesus' resurrection confronts the strong. You think you're strong? Jesus' resurrection says there's something stronger. Life confronts the strong. Death confronts the strong. Jesus' resurrection confronts the strong. Let me put a picture up of uh, some faces you may recognize. Uh, Joe Frazier, Jack LaLanne, Kim Jong-il, Uncle Leo. Osama bin Laden, Elizabeth Taylor, Steve Jobs, Columbo. Do you know what all these people have in common? They're all part of a plot with Apple to take over the world. (laughs) Not really. They all died in 2011. Some of the most powerful people in the world right there. A leader of a nation. A leader of the most effective terrorist network in the world leader of one of the best companies in the world, with the exception of Uncle Leo, you know, prominent actors, boxers. Jack LaLanne, I think he was like 113 when they took that picture. <laughs> I mean, you know this guy, right? That drink juice and work out till you're like dead, I guess. All, these are the most powerful people. And, and they all died. They all faced a moment where their strength and their power and their wealth And their fame couldn't keep them from dying. Jack LaLanne died. You're in big trouble. (laughs) I mean, you get this? You will all die. Everyone will die. And this resurrection confronts us to say, what what will happen to us when we die? What will we do with this? We have to do something. And the appropriate response is to do what these women did, is to fall down and to worship Jesus. We'll look at that in a moment. But first, let's look at the fourth thing, is that Jesus' resurrection causes fear and great joy. Jesus' resurrection happened. Jesus' resurrection proved Jesus right. It confronts the strong, and it causes fear and great joy. Look at verse 8. The women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. They were terrified, right? They had encountered something more powerful than they could ever imagine. 
And even though they had probably heard these words from Jesus, that he would die and rise from again, they didn't know what to make of it. And, and they are blown away by what they've seen. They are terrified. They, they've come to see that there is a power in the world much greater than them, doing much bigger things than they can imagine. And they're afraid. See, when you come to be a follower of Jesus, when you encounter him, when you see him as he actually is, you realize that he is much bigger and much stronger and much greater than you ever imagined. And what it is to become a disciple of Jesus, what it is to become a follower of his, is to surrender your life to him, to go to him and say, not my will, but your will be done. And that is scary. See, some of you, you're resisting the idea of surrendering your life to Jesus because you're under an illusion that you actually have control of your life. I love when people say, oh, I'm going to give God control of my life. Really? How about, let's just say it this way. You're going to acknowledge God's control in your life. See, you don't have control. But when you go to Jesus, you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And this may lead to my blessing and prosperity, and this may lead to my death and suffering in this life. But not my will, but yours be done. That's a frightening place to be. And if you want guarantees that this life will work out better and uh, you know, that this is just sort of a you know, health and wealth raffle kind of thing, you come to the wrong place. To go to Jesus is to say, all to Jesus I surrender. It's his. But if you do that, see, it's mixed with great joy. See, they're afraid, but they're also joyful. They're joyful because everything that they had hoped maybe could happen is coming true. See, Jesus is not dead. He is risen. There is power. Jesus is proved right. There's great joy in following Christ. See, make no mistake, it's, it's, a, it's frightening to say, God, I, I have no power. Do what you want with me. But it's also the path of blessing. Scripture says that in God's presence is fullness of joy. Life may hurt, but God will be with you. And that brings great joy. Finally, uh, number five, Jesus' resurrection demands a response. It demands a response. You can't be indifferent to this. You have to respond. And you see how the women responded in verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> I think that's really funny. Do you think that's funny? I mean, how did he say it? Greetings. Or was it like, greetings. You know, like he pops out from behind a rock. Like, I mean, what, like, what a funny word. I don't know. Greetings. And uh, you see how they respond? And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They worshipped him. See, the, the word worship doesn't mean singing. It means to be bowed down in surrender. That's what they're doing. They, they are literally getting down, taking hold of his feet, worshipping him. And that is the appropriate response to the risen King of kings, to the risen Lord of lords, is to surrender yourself before him. 
That is absolutely appropriate to say, Jesus, you are great. Jesus, you are king. You have to respond. You have to do something with this. The Apostle Paul uh, in Acts chapter 17 was, was preaching in Athens at a place called the Areopagus, a place where they would kind of share ideas about uh, spirituality and philosophy and different things like that. And, and Paul is preaching all to people who don't know Jesus, and he's telling them what God expects of the world. And here's what he says in Acts 17. Uh, Paul says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Say, listen, God's not like a, a statue, right? He's bigger than you think. Verse 30. The times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Question, how many people? All people. How many places? Everywhere. Does that include us? Yes. God has overlooked times of ignorance. He's saying, some of you, you're here and you didn't know. You didn't know that this is true. You didn't know what God has done. You know now. So you can stop asking, well, what about the people in Africa that have never heard? You know. You have to respond. God has overlooked that until now, but he, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here's what he's saying. There is a day coming when you will die and you will stand before God and you will be judged by a man, Jesus. You'll be judged according to his standard. You'll be judged according to his righteousness. And you have no hope on your own in that day. You can't say, well, God, I really tried because he, he knows everything. He knows your attitudes. He knows your intentions. He knows your heart. Everything's laid bare. And if you think your good is going to outweigh your bad, you need to read the Bible. It won't. God will judge. He will do this. And he's guaranteed that he'll do this. What does Paul say in verse 31? He's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Raising Jesus from the dead. So listen, Jesus is the authoritative king. You will answer to him. How do you know? Because he's alive. Everyone else has died and is still dead. Not Jesus. And that ends Paul's speech. That's it. You're going to be judged. Time to repent. Jesus rose from the dead. Be here all week. Right? I mean, that's his thing. And they, and they have to respond. Now, how are they going to respond? How, how are you going to respond? Well, there's a first group of people, and the way they respond, don't respond this way. First, some mocked, it says in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Pfft, whatever. That sounds crazy. Guy rose from the dead, honestly? No way. They mocked. Don't do that. Ignoring this is mocking. Not dealing with this is mocking. This reminds me of a place in John chapter 11 where Jesus has raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. His friend Lazarus died. Jesus shows up, says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out. 
And do you know what the next verse says? Next verse is amazing. It says, therefore, many people who saw this believed. Why would it not say, therefore, all believed? Why many? I mean, what do you need to see? Right? If you go to a funeral and they raise the guy from the dead and you don't believe in what, what do you need to see? Some of you, your heart has been so hardened by your sin and your unbelief and your believing lies about God. You will walk out of here going, cool music, whatever. Don't do that. There's a second way that they responded. It says, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Go, huh, this is, this is new to me. I, have, I haven't heard this before. This, this sparks my interest. I, I want to hear more, Paul. I want to hear more. And that's an okay response. Some of you, you're here, this is your first time in church ever. Some of you, this is your first time in a long time. And if God's moving in you to go, you need to, you need to investigate this. You wrote this off for this reason or that. You had a bad experience with some really religious people that didn't represent me well. But you need to, you need to deal with this. You, you need to... You need to come here more. That's why we're starting the series today. We're going to look over these next four weeks at the core message of who Jesus is. You need to be here. If you're a guest, you need to get this study guide. You need to study the scripture that's in it. You need to have an encounter with Jesus. Then the third way to respond, and this really is the, the best way. This is the way that I hope everyone eventually gets to, is what it says in verse 33 of Acts 17. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him, and believed. Some joined him and believed. Some fell down at Jesus' feet and worshiped him. And there are some of you for whom you need to learn more for sure, but God is working in your heart right now, and you're going, I see this Jesus as greater than me. I see that if I rely on myself, I'm in big trouble. My only hope is to fall at his feet and believe. And I, and I hope you'll do that. I hope you will trust in him today. If you want to come and pray with somebody, we'll have people up here after the service that would love to pray with you and help get you started in your faith. But you need to respond. If God is moving you in this way, that's no accident. That is his Holy Spirit giving you new birth, making you a new creation, helping the eyes of your heart to see who Jesus is. You need to respond. If you're here and you're already a follower of Christ, the only response for you is to See again who Christ is and fall at his feet and worship and trust him and surrender your life. You may even have areas where you go, God, I've been holding on to this thing. I've been trying to control it and I, and I shouldn't and I can't. And I'm going to trust you. There's three ways to respond. Some believed. Others said, i got to learn more. It's okay. But don't mock. And if you do anything other than believe or legitimately seek to know more, you're mocking. If you just ignore it, you're mocking. You don't have to be an an angry atheist to mock Jesus. All you have to do is be a good, moral person ignoring Christ on your way to hell. Hell's filled with really nice people who ignored Jesus. Don't do that. Trust him. He's worth it. Let's pray. God, we uh, acknowledge what you have done 